You are listening to episode 177 of This is Type 1. Today we're talking with Mary Lynn Allen, a type 1 diabetic competitive weightlifter. Mary Lynn, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Let's just have you tell us a bit about you and the story of your diagnosis. Sure. As you said, my name is Mary Lynn. I currently work for my local YMCA as an aquatics director. So I'm over all of my lifeguards, swim instructors, and everything in between. Love being active as much as possible. I love being outdoors, loving the sun. Currently do not live in a place where there's a lot of sun. So, (laughs) you know, I guess my next best thing is going into the water. And so just getting to be as active as I can there. When did you Um, find out about your diagnosis? I was just turned 26 and freshly 26. Thought I was in the best shape of my life. Was training for a competition and started getting very dehydrated or what I deemed as dehydrated, very sleepy all the time. And it wasn't until I was driving home from Pennsylvania, which should take about 12 hours, I turned into almost a 50-hour trip because every 30 minutes I had to pull over, take a nap, (laughs) and then continue on. And went straight to the ER after my roommate found me on my kitchen floor (laughs) and spent about a week and a half in ICU, come out a type 1 diabetic and went into the ICU twice. Both times was experiencing uh, diabetic ketoacidosis and found finally found an endocrinologist that was working with me and a dietitian. That first one, completely fired. Just handed me a 20-something page packet and was like, here you go. So (laughs) it's been a rocky beginning, but now it's... I don't want to say I'm living the dream, but I'm living a better dream than I once was. (laughs) Yeah. Can we just pause for a second and recognize that you were diagnosed at the age where you get kicked off your parents' insurance? Yes. Yep. How did you manage that? (laughs) I managed, I didn't, (laughs) hence the second hospital trip. But what was great about the second endocrinologist, he, even though I didn't have insurance, the place that I was working with didn't have insurance at the time. I couldn't qualify for any insurance. What was great is he found a sponsorship program within Novolog that I was not allowed to be released from the hospital until I was on that sponsorship. So That's filled good. out the paperwork and everything in a hospital bed and wasn't allowed to leave until my first shipment came in. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah. So when I say I fired my first endocrinologist for just handing me a 20-something page packet, I'm glad I fired him. We are glad you fired him too. <laughs> so... <laughs> So how do you manage your diabetes now? Now, a lot of alarms uh, to take. A lot of alarms, especially during the evening time. And then I also use a Dexcom G6 sensor. We're trying to get on the beta for the G7 sensor. I believe it's coming out. But mostly the G G6 sensor. Are you on a, an insulin pump at all? I am not because more so with me having to jump in the water at an unexpected time with my job 
I can't go ahead and like pull out a pump when someone needs to be saved in the water. So I have looked into, I believe it's called Omnipod, uh, which can go into the water. So we're currently working with that company as well. That's awesome. So how does, generally speaking, how does a type 1 diabetic know that they're ready to start weightlifting or start that journey of like learning how to weightlift? I know probably the correct answer would be when they stabilize their sugars. But as I have found out, those sugars are going to go haywire once you start a program. So what I did is I gradually just went into it with the mindset of everything's going to change. And I just have to be mindful that we're just going to have to be on a tweaking zone for a little bit. (laughs) So it's, I would say, be more prepared than what you think you need. And having that support system made it that much better. And working out with the correct people makes a huge difference. I believe it. How long are each of your programs or like how, like, what's the time period between like, the start of one program and the start of a new program for you? As in like a weightlifting program? Yeah, yeah. Uh, So usually each session that I do almost every other day is about an hour long. Mm -hmm. But our programs range between 14 weeks and 20 weeks. Okay, that's really cool. I play rugby at the at the college I go to, ours are about like six weeks in between. And then we rotate like different sets and stuff like that. So it's interesting to hear like, from a professional, like, you know, weightlifter of like, how your guys' programs work and stuff like that. Yeah, we're, a- I'm actually on two different programs, which is very interesting. Wow. Yeah, my local gym does one and they're on a 14 week. And a coach that I work with virtually, he does the 20 to 22 week. And so we're working on two different kind of programs. So it's As it's very interesting, com- like you said. <laughs> yeah. I have a question as a complete noob because no. the only weightlifting I ever did was with a personal trainer and I didn't don't know anything about programs. What is a program? <laughs> <laughs> so Jesse, you probably can attest with the lifting. A lot of programs it really focuses on one either one lift one olympic lift or one power lift so all of your accessory work your cardio is fully based on just that lift yeah like you're focusing like either just on squats for one day and then you're doing like a bunch of like accessory workouts or smaller like mini workouts after that to kind of like help your body recover from that bigger lift that you did that day. And that ranges from like, or at least for my program, it does squats, bench lift, deadlift, and, or bench lift, um, <laughs> deadlifts, and bench press. That's something like that. So it changes all the time. So I never know off the top of my head, but you know, it's like those big core, one, like those big, like the big three. And then it has a bunch of smaller ones after that. Yeah. Okay, next question. What is the difference between Olympic lifting and powerlifting? So for well, me... <laughs> no, 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 you're totally fine. Jesse kind of answered the Olympic one. Uh, so it has like the squatting, the bench press, and the deadlift, which is the major three. And then the Olympic lifting adds in a lift called the snatch. So basically you're lifting the weight over your head. 
from the ground. And then another lift called the clean and jerk. So you are getting it up to your shoulders and then pressing it overhead. Huh. Okay. (laughs) Jesse, please continue. (laughs) All right. And then how did you know that you were kind of ready to start weightlifting again after your diagnosis? I'm going to be honest. I was really scared. Yeah. I didn't know. The first time I was completely oblivious. Like when I first got diagnosed, I went right back into a training session. I told my coach, I'm like, hey, I just got out of the hospital. I just need you to watch me because I don't know what's going to happen. And he was like, okay. And this was before I got into lifting. This was still with just a personal trainer. And he was like, okay, like I'll just, I'll just watch. And seemed to be okay. But then once I got put back into the hospital and I came back out, it was a totally different story. I quit the gym for a little bit. I didn't want to go into the gym. I wanted to figure out my diet, me being a diabetic first before I went back in. And so I had a different mindset when I came back in of... I need to check my numbers. I need to have food with me. I need to have all of these things with me and then work towards how I was before I was being diagnosed. Because I was always comparing myself to my before being diagnosed. So all of my numbers, I wasn't able to hit those numbers until almost a year after. My muscles were just so depleted that lifting it even just a 10 pound plate was hard and I had to mentally it was more of a mental game than a physical game and then I think that's what trips up a lot of people is that they're not mentally ready for it physically we can be okay but getting over that mental game is hard so in that case what are some like basic safety things that type 1 diabetics should keep in mind when they're wanting to get into weightlifting or powerlifting or Olympic lifting? Find a good trainer or a good coach or even just a personal trainer. Mine carries around or they'll place my phone somewhere that's either in the middle of the area where they can still hear the alarms or they'll carry it with them. If I don't hear it, they hear it. So I think that was very much a key as you're kind of learning your ticks of when you are getting low, sharing that with them so that they can watch out for it. I never knew one of my ticks was rubbing my fingertips between lifts to get the, I guess, the feeling back. So he watches out for that tick (laughs) and I've done it a few times and he'll be like, go get a drink or go get uh, some of your gummies, you know, and go test. And it's always on the lower end. So we just, he just knows now. I think some of my other ones, if you work out with other people, make sure that they know that you're diabetic. So even if you aren't wearing your emergency alert bracelet, at least make it known. So all the people know that I work out with that I'm a diabetic. What's great is that the majority of them are nurses or first responders. So I 
feel a little bit safer <laughs> if something happens. And then, like I said before, like, keep a bunch of food with you. Or if they have a refrigerator, just we keep food in there for instances like that. And if I do forget stuff, because I'm notorious for it, I think I put something in my backpack. It's not there. <laughs> or I've already eaten my stash that I brought with me. What's nice is that they sell things or that I'm able to use their glucose tablets in their in their first aid kit. So I think it's getting you a good support team with them. And then not forgetting to eat beforehand. <laughs> you have to learn and you have to tweak of how much you're going to eat depending on which workout you're doing. Jesse, you probably can attest to this of your numbers are probably affected a whole lot differently when you're doing just stretching and accessory work versus heavy lifting days. So it's learning those numbers even. Oh, yeah. And we've talked about this too before on the, this podcast of like the difference between a cardio workout and then like lifting weights, your adrenaline's going and your blood sugars, your, your blood sugar does two different things depending on yeah. like the type of workout you're doing. So yeah. Um, For me, I found out that if I do cardio first, my number drops like a stone. But if I do weightlifting first, and this is like from community college way back when, my (laughs) if I did weightlifting first, my number would be nice and flat. And then if I got on cardio, then it would be like maybe a slow decline. (laughs) And so I had to coerce the uh, instructor to let me do always do weightlifting first because you would typically rotate people through to do one or the other. I'm like, well if you make me do cardio first, then I'm not going to be able to finish the workout. So up to you. (laughs) And that's so funny because if I do cardio, my numbers just plummet. And I can't, like you said, like I can't finish anything. Where if I do weightlifting, it will plummet like two hours after. And I just have to be so cautious with it. So like, when they really tell you to eat after a workout, like it's those days that I do have to eat. <laughs> so with your typical workout routine, I guess with whatever program you do, how do you prep your number before a session and how do you manage it afterward? Usually about an hour beforehand, which is probably not the best practice, but it works for me. I'll eat just something really carb heavy, depending on which workout I'm doing. Uh, so with weightlifting and I know that I'm going to go heavy that day or it's going to be a, a longer weightlifting session, I'll go a little bit carb heavy and I want to sit in like the low 200 starting that workout because by the end of it, I'll be okay. I'll be sitting nice and pretty around a hundred, but then within the next 30 minutes to 45 minutes after it, I'm going to plummet and I'm going to have to eat something else. So I know right after those intensive ones, I'm going to have to go eat soon after. For more cardio, it's more of a slower decline. So I can still sit within my range at like 160, 170. And then I'll be okay afterwards. I won't have to immediately go eat, but I'll still want a snack afterwards. So that will kind of hold me for a couple hours after when I do a bigger meal. So how do you 
stay motivated to keep going, even though your blood sugars like sometimes don't make you feel great, even when you are doing something really good for your body, like weightlifting. It's hard. <laughs> Mentally, it's hard because all you want to do is literally for me, just take a nap. All I, I just want to go, I don't feel good. I don't want to do anything. But my coach just said, just show up. Just even walking into the gym, just go. And it doesn't have to be anything big. Like we all don't have to go for our personal best every single day. If our personal best is even just walking in, getting on a bike or getting out the stretch bands, just being there is better than not even going at all. And I think a lot of people forget about that is that you can still do the small things. The small things are going to make your big things so much better. And once you get in there, you're going to be surrounded by people that are very like-minded, that are working on the same things that you are. And half the time I start doing my session and I'm I'm not prepared for it. And that's when usually I crash because <laughs> I'm not prepared for it. But I know at least like I went in that day to do something. And if that just means biking or doing a yoga session, great. So much better. <laughs> so this is something that I struggle with is like the mid set high blood sugar that happens when your adrenaline kicks in. How yeah. do you combat that? Because I've had so many issues. <laughs> <laughs> mid-set highs is that's a struggle because especially with cardio and everything I'll be going and I don't know how you feel it Jesse but it is like a wall it's a wall that I'll be doing I think this week we did like box jumps or something like that or we did a farmer's carry and I'm like I I can do this. Like all I have yeah. to do is just put one step in front, like one foot in front of the other. I can do this, but my body just doesn't want to. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it's not because my muscles are fatigued. It's because my blood sugars are rocketing somewhere that they don't want to be. Right. And, but I know 30 minutes afterwards, they're going to shut go right back down oh my gosh yeah so it's I have a little check-in with myself mentally of are you okay do you feel like you're low if you're low stop go eat something we can always come back am I being safe and this is going to sound really funny but am I actually dying yeah (laughs) are you dying (laughs) and if not you can keep going like just take that one small step in front of after the next. Like Dude. you don't have to go fast. No, I mean you. No. Oh gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so, for everybody who doesn't know who's listening in on this, a set is like like a series of workouts of a specific type of like lift you're doing, and like you're doing it multiple reps in a row for like however many cycles you have of that specific routine. So, say you're doing like box jumps and squats so you have five sets of those two things so like five rounds of those two exercises for however many times like your whoever your person tells you to do 
if that makes sense. But yeah, so I've, I've struggled with that so many times when it's been like, oh, I just hit my wall. I should probably go test my blood sugar. Like you feel it before you yeah. know it most of the time. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> so what do you do with your workout supplies or like your diabetes supplies when you're working out and like when you're in the gym? They're, to me, they're very visible. So we have a desk right when we walk in, has all the checking computers and everything. Our gym is it's smaller on the smaller side. There's just one big squatting rack right in the middle of the room. And then everything else is placed all around it. And you can always see the front desk. So I just set all my stuff right there, all my little snacks, my water bottles. And if no one is bench pressing that day, all that stuff comes right into the middle of the rig. So the rig is the um, squat racks and stuff like that. And it goes right in the middle. So it's not in anyone's way. So it's always very visible of if I need something, it's there. I don't have to go digging for it. Because that is like the worst feeling when you're low or anything and you're having to search for something. You wanted to have it readily available. And also kind of... To me, it makes a reality check of you are not invincible. <laughs> like you do have something that will stop you if you don't take care of yourself. So with that being said, a lot of people take pre-workout in the gym. What's your kind of overall opinion on pre-workout? And do you take a specific kind that or do you even take pre-workout at all? <laughs> like what's your what's your overall thoughts on that for diabetics? My gym will say that my pre-workout of choice is Red Bull, which is, again, not the greatest <laughs> at all. <laughs> but most likely I'm running on like six hours of sleep. I just pulled a lifeguarding shift or I'm coming at like 5.30 in the morning and I don't want to be there. That's my <laughs> drink of choice. But I believe like if done correctly... It could be beneficial. I'm not going to say don't do it or do do it. I would want people to be safe with it. If you don't know your body or you don't know how your body is going to take that high levels, I would start extremely small, just like with anything. Every now and again, I do pre-workouts. Usually I use like a scent and it comes in like nice little packets. It's not a pre-workout, but it is an energy source. It's from Clean Simple Eats. That's the company. They do serving packets of just a powder where it's just energy. It doesn't have a lot of sugars in it, so it doesn't spike anything like a pre-workout would or my Red Bull would. <laughs> but it does give me a little bit of energy to finish my workout. <laughs> What exactly is a pre-workout with water? What exactly is a pre-workout? Because I have no idea what that is. So basically, it's like a like a really it's like a powdered form of highly concentrated caffeine. Yeah, is the best way that I can like put it. But so the thing, the appeal about it for most people is that it's fast acting and it works. It gets in your system and out of your system while you're in the gym. Like it doesn't like 
ruin your whole day of like, wow, I'm on such a caffeine high, like till three hours after my workout. It's more of like, while I'm in the gym, this is going to set in. Am I stretching or like pre-lifting routine? Work mm-hmm. through my system while I'm lifting. And then it's supposedly, if you do it right, you're supposed to not have like the residual like caffeine shakes when you're done, basically. Or even is, during. Yeah. <laughs> like is the purpose of it so that you have more energy for working out? Or like, what is the point? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, it's like a, like, it's, oh gosh, it's so hard to explain. It's like, it's one, I do think it's part of a mental hype that most people have with it. Like, oh my God, I'm going to take this pre-workout so I can lift. It's kind of like a placebo or part of it is. And then the other part is so that your body does have enough energy to lift as where you're kind of supposed to or where you can. That's like how I I would put it. How how about you, Marilyn? How do you feel about this? Uh, (laughs) I've seen some very bad effects from pre-workout. That's why I kind of really tread lightly with it. Yeah. I view it as when you're on that adrenaline rush and you are just in that adrenaline zone, that's what it feels like the whole entire time that you're on where the pre-workout is activated you are just going and you can conquer the world you are (laughs) you just have this like major hypeness like ready to go for anything like no one could tell you anything bad or you just want to conquer the world at that moment and then but you don't have the shakes afterwards if you're doing it where like when you do come off of adrenaline high, you're like, well, now like what? <laughs> it's more so like, okay, well, I already did my lift. I felt good during it. I had yeah. a huge adrenaline high and I'm okay for the rest of my day. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good. That's a really good way of putting it. It's basically like giving yourself like an artificial adrenaline high mm-hmm. kind of a thing, but no after effects of like bad things. It's like... Like, you know, that feeling of like, oh, I really aced this test and no one can tell me that I didn't ace it. It's yeah. like that kind of like a high to it, but there's no like after effects. You just feel really like, like you're on another level, like when you're lifting, mm-hmm. like you can kind of PR, which uh, per- break your personal record or like you have, like, you, you know, in your core that you, you can do it. Yeah. Whoever <laughs> came up with pre-workout then has like made a ton of money oh yeah something you probably don't need no (laughs) no you you don't need it i will say that i don't take it personally you don't you really don't need pre-workout but sometimes it's kind of fun to like try a little bit too just for just for fun if you have the right environment and the right people and coaches you don't need it like I've been, I don't want to say competitions, but we've had max lift days. So like we are trying to go for our max lift that day. And you can't tell anyone in the gym that they're not getting a PR that day. So a personal best, like the music is going, everyone is cheering everyone on. The coaches just are just putting weights on there. Like they know your personal best. And I think this, this happens 
two weeks ago, my coach says, go take a lap and then come back and you're going to lift this. And I was like, why? He's like, we're just going to see something. Okay. So I did a lap around the gym. He was like, all right, lift it. I'm like, okay, lifted it, succeeded. And he was like, you just broke your record by like 10 pounds. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, no, you beat your record by 10 pounds. You could have done more. (laughs) And so like, that's, if you're with the right people, you don't need that pre-workout because you're already going to succeed regardless. Okay. So what is the difference then between competitive lifting and then the regular lifting that I imagine I see at the gym, you know, way in the distant past when I actually went to the gym? (laughs) Uh, So competitive, you have three tries. That's it. And so that first one, you're kind of playing it safe. You know it's a number that you're going to hit. The second number, you're kind of testing your boundaries of around your personal best. So around your personal best. And then your third one is just kind of like, if I get it, I get it. (laughs) We're going to go 10 pounds. We're going to go 5 pounds. But if I don't get it, that's cool. I have my next number. And... Are those like um, weights that you're lifting that other people are lifting too that you're trying to beat them for? Or is it a competition against yourself? It is a percentage because you are put into weight classes. Okay. And so that's where, again, like pre-workout and the the cutting and the... So cutting water, like cutting water, getting a calorie deficit depends on if you're trying to get into a different weight class. So it's a percentage and correct me if I'm wrong, Jesse, it's a percentage of your body weight to how much weight you're lifting. So are you lifting at your body weight? That's a percentage. And so that it's not judged unfairly because let's say Jesse and I are, we're in different weight classes, but I can lift a whole I can lift heavier in one lift. Jesse can lift in heavier in one lift than I do. But we're not being judged on our numbers. We're judged based on our weight to body weight percentage. Yeah, that's that's how I understand it. I go to a powerlifting gym, but I don't I don't compete per, like compete yet at least. <laughs> But yeah, that's how it was explained to me is like, it's more so based on your muscle percentage on your body, rather than the actual number you can do. And then that's where your placements are. That's where like, you're where you stand to other people versus yourself. That's where all that stuff comes from. And then when it comes to like, getting into a higher weight class is more is like, you want to be as big as possible while also being able to maintain like that super high muscle mass on your frame too. That sounds complicated. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's I I just do what my coaches tell me to half the time. <laughs> yeah, same here. I don't I don't question I it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mary Lynn, what made you start doing competitive lift, competitive lifting? Honestly, so I started I started really this whole journey because of a job. I wanted to get fitter for this job. And 
incidentally found CrossFit in in it. <laughs> they did one of their favorite tactics or this gym did of like, we're looking for like 10 women to do this, do this class. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I'll try it. I'll give it a go. That's fine. And they did a day where they started teaching us weightlifting and the proper techniques of it. And I found out how much like I could actually do. I was like, oh, I would never be able to lift over a hundred pounds. Like there's no way. And one point, like we just went over class time and we're just like, we're just going to see how much you can lift. And they fueled that fire. (laughs) They fueled that fire. And I'm not going to say I was the best person of being consistent all the time. So like my numbers weren't growing whatsoever. I was like, cool, I can lift it. Like, that's fine. (laughs) And I went about my day. And then when I moved, I started, I started getting into these online competitions and just seeing so many people, even it was more so women just being strong and there's like throwing up all of these numbers. I was like, I kind of want to see how far I could go with this. And that's when I started working with my current coach and my current coach is 70. No, he's in his sixties or low seventies. And he's still lifting. I think what he said the other day, he deadlifts over like 400 pounds. And I'm like, if I want to be like that when I'm older, <laughs> like you're in your sixties and you're lifting almost like double me, like double my body weight. You're just, I could just hang on the bar and you could literally lift me. And that is just mind boggling of like what the human body can do even without being a diabetic. And so like my kind of goal is what can I do being a diabetic? <laughs> This reminds me of an Instagram account that I follow of this like 84, 85 year old lady who just all she posts are videos of her lifting in the gym. (laughs) It's so awesome. (laughs) So Marilyn, what are your personal records right now? Uh, For back squatting, what did we just do? We stopped at 270. He said I could have done 275 easy, but that's the current weight. (laughs) Bench pressing. I think we did 160 and deadlift was 305. So we have a competition coming in starting on January 9th. So we're preparing for some new numbers from that competition. So we'll see. All of the listeners, Jesse, her face just was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Oh my God. Every single number. Like you. Oh my Lord. I want to do that. <laughs> oh, my. Like, you know, Jeff. <laughs> oh my yeah absolutely no please i kid you not i would love to be able to do that. my goal by the end of like 2023 is to literally bench a plate on each side that's that's my dream goal like that's i could die after that but oh my god that's so cool <laughs> and I feel like i i really feel the community that i found here it's small, but man, it is like the most mighty thing I've ever found. Yeah. 
and I've been to like the big competition gyms and the big bodybuilding gyms and you know I call them bro gyms (laughs) yeah that's a good way to describe it yeah (laughs) (laughs) but the community that I have at mine it's no one's too small no one's too big no one's too weak you know we can if you're starting out on a pvc pipe or a training bar which is 15 pounds you know what great like no one no one's judging the only person that's judging is you and that's you know our biggest credit is ourselves (laughs) So then what's your why for continuing your weightlifting journey? Like what keeps you going? This is going to sound really sappy. <laughs> no. Oh my God. Absolutely not. Um, it's why I also became a lifeguard as well. So before I got diagnosed as a diabetic, my mom was a type two diabetic. So, you know, I watched her every day, you know, I was that five-year-old that was like mixing her mom's like insulin from the refrigerator. Like she would tell me numbers and I'm like, okay. (laughs) And to see all the pills that she was saying, she had almost a Tupperware box, like a big box of pills just because like she didn't want to take care of herself. She took care of everyone else. and you know, that I didn't want to be that person. And I didn't want to be love. I didn't want to be the person that had to be on the scooter riding through a grocery store. I didn't want to be walking with a cane when I get older. Like I want to be able to be physically fit. And I'm not saying, I mean, I'm not stick thin by any means, (laughs) but I still want my body to be able to do all of the things and to watch my mom struggle that way, to watch other family members struggle in that manner. I knew I didn't want to be that different. Like I did not want that to be me. And when this job before I got diagnosed presented itself, I was like, we're going to get back in the gym, even if it's just swimming, which is what my background was. We're going to swim. We're going to do it. Even if it's just walking in the water, we're going to do something. And that turned into, I got a, a personal trainer three times a week. And that turned into from 30 minutes to an hour working with a personal trainer He's now one of my best friends. Like they just celebrate having their second child. Like it's great. But to go from a really high to kind of being soccer punched by being diagnosed and having to start all over, it changed of I don't want to be that person to I get to do this. And... I get the opportunity to better myself every day. So what if I can't do my biggest vice right now is I can't do a pull up. That's my, that's my 2023 goal. <laughs> I can't do it with like, I'll outlift you and a deadlift or like I'll squat heavier than you, but <laughs> any gymnastics work can't do it. 
can't do it. All right. So what's one thing you would like our listeners to remember when they go about their lives, you know, either wanting to power lift, not wanting power lift, but what's one thing you want them to walk away with this conversation? As a type one diabetic, you're not your numbers. Don't define yourself by your numbers. Like you're going to have high days. You're going to have those like nothing, no matter how many insulin that you're taking, no matter what you're doing, your sugars aren't going where they need to be. You know, you're going to have the low days where you can eat anything in sight and you're not raising it. You're going to have those days and it's fine. You are human. <laughs> and there's going to be days where you're literally just thriving and you can conquer anything. And it, and it has to where in weightlifting, you're hitting all of your lifts. There's going to be days where you walk into the gym and you cannot hit a single thing to save your life. And that's going to be at competitions too. I mean, I just walked into my gym probably last week. I couldn't look. It's a lift I've been working on a hundred times. It's a weight that I've hit a hundred times. Could I land a single one? Absolutely not. And that's okay. And every day, this kind of goes back to my why, every day that we wake up, especially being a diabetic, we get another opportunity to do what we love to do. And another 24 hours that we get to live. And how are you going to live those 24 hours? I've had some of the darkest times. I mean, I sat in the hospital. I'm like, I don't, it would be so easy to just take a little bit more of insulin. We're pretty sure we've all had, or not going to speak for everyone, but we've all probably have been in that low where, okay, it would be so simple to just take a few more and like, just end up at the ER. It'll be fine. Or go the other way of, I don't want to live this way anymore. We've all had these thoughts. But we're still human and we still have things to do here. And not every day is going to go to plan. We can all attest. Like, we just try to be as normal as we possibly can, whatever normal might be. This is our new normal. And we, we can either choose to live it the best that we can, or we're going to sub- succumb to it. We're either going to let diabetes take over our lives or we're going to make it our own because each, each of us is going to have a different kind of journey. So we are all human. You are not your numbers. Don't let your endocrinologist say that you're a bad diabetic either. You and fire are diabetic. Them. And fire <laughs> them if they give you a 20-page document that says, here, how to live your life. <laughs> Yeah, how to live your life. Here's how to eat. Here's how to change 26 years of your life. Not going to give you any guidance. Please fire those people. <laughs> My new endocrinologist that I just moved up to, you had to go to a what they considered a diabetic school. And you had to go to weekly classes. They taught you about food. They taught you about exercise, what portions were like right portions, like food portions. I mean, how many times do we go out to eat and we don't, we're just kind of guessing. And it's so different. Find someone, find your support group. 
It can be a best friend. It can be your coaches. It can be the people you're working out with. It can be your coworkers. I mean, my boss knows when I go sit in her office and I'm sitting on the floor, something's wrong. If I'm sitting in the chair in her office, I want to talk. But if I'm sitting on the floor, that means my sugars are low. And to just kind of be cautious, you know, that's find your people, find your tribe, so to speak. (laughs) Yep. You've had a lot of really great insights today. Thank you so much. You're welcome. (laughs) What would be the best way for listeners to connect with you? Probably the best way to connect with me on my Instagram. So it's at T1D and thriving. All right. We will link to all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for talking about weightlifting with us today and everything else we talked about. Yeah, no worries. So happy to do it. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com slash community. I can't wait to see you there.